Hey everyone, welcome to Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel, the podcast that is dedicated 100% to the life and career of Elvis Presley. My guest today comes all the way from Elvis's hometown, Memphis, Tennessee, and his name is Don Horn. Hi Don, how are you doing? Very good, it's a pleasure to be talking with you. Yeah, 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 and I'd like to thank you very much for getting up uh, at, uh, what time is it with you? It is 3.06 here in the in the morning in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm on Elvis time right now. It's uh... <laughs> That's the best time to be. That's definitely the best yeah. time to be. And uh, yeah. t- 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 tell me this, Don, how far are you actually away from Graceland? I am probably about, uh, well, depending on the traffic, I'd say it's probably about a 20-minute drive. I'm I'm in a little area called Cordova, Tennessee, which uh, if anybody's ever been here to Memphis, it's it's in the northeast part of Memphis, uh, like you're on, on I-40 headed towards uh, Nashville going that direction. I'm sure a lot of people know that. Uh, I'm envious of you because you're 20 minutes away and I'm 20 hours away, you know? Exactly, yeah. That's, unfortunately, uh, I, I, I can't just pop over to Graceland, unfortunately. I'd love to be able to. Well, and, and that's what I did the other day. I'm sure you probably saw some of the pictures that I posted. Um, I did, I did. You you posted them on uh, I Adore Elvis, How About You, on Facebook, yeah? Exactly. And uh, I try every year, I try to take my kids to, to Graceland, uh, if not Christmas Eve, around that time, you know, pretty close to to let them see the lights and everything. They always enjoy it. They were great pictures. They were great pictures. Thank you. That's it's always fun to go down there. I, I go as much as I can. Uh, I heard a rumor that you used to work for Graceland once. I did. Um, back in 2002, um, I was a college student at the time. Uh, I'm from Arkansas, the neighboring state of Arkansas originally, and, and uh, I had moved here with my wife um, in actually in 2001. And uh, I got the job working at Graceland in uh, probably, I want to say, February, around <clears throat> February 2002, uh, working in the retail side of Graceland. That was obviously across the road from the mansion, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, be a tour guide so I'd have a chance to go, actually go up into the house uh, more often. But, but uh, I, I, my experience in, in my previous jobs had been in retail, retail management. So they wanted me working in the, in the gift shops. So one of the perks was getting into Graceland whenever you wanted to? Well, uh, when they when they first hired me, I was with a group uh, of about probably six or seven other people. And one of the first things they did when we had our orientation was they, they took us on a tour of Graceland. And this this had it had been about 10 years since I had actually been inside Graceland. And uh, it, the, the last time that I'd gone was in 1992. And they didn't have I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, the audio stuff that they give you now with the headphones. to. Yeah, yeah. Well, they didn't have that uh, at the time in 1992 when I had last gone, but they they did in 2002 when I went and I put on those headphones 
And uh, we started going up the drive and it said, you know, to press the play button when you start going up the drive. And, and as soon as we did, Welcome to My World started playing on those headphones and, I, and the hair stood up on my arms. And I, <laughs> I was just like, I was just like, I'm home. You know, yeah, I just, it, yeah. just, it was it was such a it, they they really did well when they they timed that for that. It, it really it worked perfectly. I remember that as well. In fact, the, I, I can feel a bit of a shiver now on, on my arms as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Lance Legault at the time was was the narrator of the of the audio and to hear his voice was really I enjoyed that as well. Well, I'll tell you, this is actually a bit of a coincidence because I was there in June of 2002. So I could have rubbed shoulders with you and not even realized. You, I could ask you what shop you were in, but I worked in all of the shops. We, we would oh, and I'll, I'll tell you, I went in all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we we probably did cross paths at some point because um, I I literally worked in every every gift shop that they had during the time that I was there. It it was one of the most memorable times of my life. Uh, I I actually broke down when I went into the meditation garden, you know, because it was just it was yeah. just so overwhelming. It, it yeah, it really is. It it's um, there's really no words to describe it. It's. It's I, I, there's there's no words to describe it. I don't really know what to say. Exactly, exactly. Your fellow Elvis fans will know exactly what we mean. You know, it's just uh, a lot of people say they can actually feel his presence there. You know, when they walk through the door. Well, I, I don't mention this to just anybody, but uh, the first time that I went to Graceland, it was in 1989. It was it was over uh, our holiday here in in the U.S. called Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, my parents brought me down from Arkansas. It's about a four or five hour drive from where I lived or from where I grew up. And uh, we went through Graceland that first time in November of 1989. And the first time that I walked through those doors, I felt like I felt the presence. And of course, when you walk in the front door, it's literally right below where he where he passed away. Correct. Yeah. And you, I. You, I to, to this day, I wonder if maybe there was some sort of residual energy left from when he passed away. Maybe that that I felt. I don't know, but I do believe that 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 is a possibility. It always feels like that. Yeah, I always a lot of people get that sort of feeling. Just uh, what do you think of uh, Graceland today? All the uh, the changes that have been made and the the guest house and and so forth. Well, I hate to kind of be a fence sitter but there's there's good and bad about it uh i was just talking with my mom the other day when we were down there about how much I, we miss the old shops that were just just across the street that you could come and park you you could park down the street in front of those what what we call the pink shops you could park oh yeah yeah shops. yeah you could park in front of those shops for free you could walk down past the airplanes you could go down to to uh, the ticket area you could walk into the lisa marie gift shop you could do all that stuff and you didn't have to pay anything you could just walk in if you found something you wanted to buy you could do that now you can't do that you have to pay to park you have to pay to get into the shops even the gift shops most you know most of the gift shops now you have to buy that uh, i think it's 28 dollar pass or whatever it is just to mm. get in areas yeah, yeah so there's um, obviously there's good things about it too with with the new uh, displays that they have of all the cars. Although I did like the old car museum, uh, I liked it a lot the way they had it set up. But it, it's good the way they have it now. And uh, they're, they're, of course they have a lot more space now. There's a lot more stuff that they can have on display that they had before. So there, there's there's good about it now for sure. But 
some of the the nostalgia is gone that, that a lot of us fans had for for all those years because we don't have that area to go to anymore. And have you been in the guest house? I have, yeah. Um, uh, when my mom came down to visit last year, I believe it was, she stayed there, and we we uh, I didn't stay there, but of course we went in to to visit. It's it's yeah, very yeah. it's very plush. All right. And it, 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 do you get the feel of kind of Graceland, or is it kind of just f- fake sort of you know sort of feeling to it? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that you get the feel. I I I'm a little disappointed when you go in, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of other people mention there there are no pictures of Elvis. There's well, there's kind of just body shots, but the heads are cut yeah. off. Is that right? that, that, yeah, right. That was always yeah. a kind of a strange thing. Is that licensing? Do you think? I'm thinking probably so. Yeah, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm thinking that's probably a way for them to to sort of get around having to pay the licensing fees. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, you started a series on one of the Facebook channels, uh, Elvis. Uh, no, what is it? What is it called? I adore Elvis. How about you? And it was your yeah. Christmas. You, you, it was your top twenty Christmas songs. Yeah, and of course, there's only like 20 or 21 Elvis Christmas songs anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, but you you put the, you put them in in, in order of, of your preference. So yeah. Um, yeah. So um, what, what, what I think I think number 20 was the first Noel, wasn't it? That, that's correct. Yeah. Was there anything it's, you'd like uh, to say? Well, um, I mean, I like them all. It's it, you just you have to you have to sort of figure out you have to winnow it down to what you feel like you, you enjoy the songs that you enjoy more than any of the others. And I, I, of course I enjoy the first Noel. I, I, Elvis's voice at that time when he recorded that stuff in 1971, I think was in good form. I, some people say that he sounded a little bit lazy on some of the songs that he recorded during that period. And he, he may have sounded a little like that, but for the most part, his voice was still great. And, even the well, these, songs these, that I don't... this comes from the 71 sessions, doesn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. His voice was still great then. Yeah, yeah. His his voice, it, for me, his voice had different periods. I'm sure that, that uh, you feel that way, too. That The period from about 1960 to 63 was fantastic. And then uh, the period from about 67 or 8 to 71 or 2 around in there was just was fantastic. But I'm, I'm sort of digressing a little bit, but... Uh, uh, no, I, I mean, I mean, you're quite correct. I mean, from 1960 to maybe 63, uh, he, he still yeah. had kind of good material to sink his teeth into. Uh, yeah. But, you know, then the sort of the mid movie years. Uh, well, you know, uh, my own personal opinion on that is he just he, could, he couldn't care less about the, the, the movie songs from kind of like 64 onwards. He, he'd just go yeah. in uh, and, you know, we, we've heard some of the outtakes. He's just he's he's just, you know, really li- literally wetting himself, laughing at some of the lyrics, you know, a dog's yeah. life and, and dating and things like that. It, they even got to the state stage where the, you know, the musicians would come in and lay down the, the backing tracks and he'd just come in and overdub his vocal. You know, there was no interaction between him and, and the musicians. So, yeah, you know, and then, and then, of course, back on track then in 68. <laughs> yeah, he he did. He I think he he um he sort of lost the desire because he he just wasn't doing what he wanted to be doing. He he um and you know everybody wants to blame different people for whatever. And of course, in the end, uh, he was responsible for what he what he did. He could have he could have made the changes if he wanted to, but he didn't. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. I he, agree. He waited. He wait. He sort of started. I guess he sort of started to. Uh, 
rebel a little bit, maybe around 1966 or seven, and started cutting some better songs again. And guitar man, of, big boss man, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And his, and his voice had matured more by that time and sounded. I won't say it sounded better than it did in the early 60s, but it sounded different and uh, because he was more mature. And I think he had, he probably learned a little bit more about how to sing, too. And uh, some of that stuff that he did really in 68 to 70 is probably some of the best stuff he ever did, really. In my his, voice, his, his voice had a unique sound on, on the, the Burbank sessions, uh, really gritty and raspy, didn't yeah. it? I mean, it never, it, it never yeah. sounded like that before or again, I don't think. No, and I think some of that was, was sort of uh, a conscious effort by him to, to roughen his vocals up a little bit uh, for, for some of the stuff. Uh, I know, I think when he recorded If I Can Dream, uh, I'm not sure if he was the one that said he was going to roughen up his vocals or if maybe... Uh, w. Earl Brown, the writer of the song, mentioned that maybe he could roughen up his vocals, but some, somehow they made that decision that he was going to make his, his voice a little more gruff for that song, and it worked just wonderfully. We could, we could have a whole episode just on the 1968, couldn't we? <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so uh, the, the, the number 19 was, was Blue Christmas from the 57 sessions. Yeah, and... Yeah, go on, yeah. Well, everybody loves that song. I do too, and it's it's for a lot of people. It's their favorite Elvis Christmas song. But for me, I'm just not. I mean, I like it, but it's not where I'm just like, oh wow, I love that. You know, it's. Well, well, we all we all know we all know the story about uh, Elvis asking uh, Millie Kirkham, the backing singer, to do something silly yeah. so if they wouldn't release it. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, I actually, and I actually think that her backing vocal makes that track. Without her, without that backing vocal, it's not the track it is, you know. It uh, yeah, it, that was the hook for the song. Her her that little lilting thing that she did, that was that was the absolute hook for the song and that's probably a reason why a lot of people like it is because of that. Well, I love Millie's uh, vocal anyway, you know, uh, just not just on that song, but I love her voice, you know, in general. Oh yeah, she could her voice just soared. It was it was spectacular. Uh, number 18. I feel like a disc jockey counting down the top 20. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, Little Town of, oh, little town of Bethlehem. That's another one that, uh, I mean, I like the song. And it was a song that I, I heard a lot when I was growing up by not just Elvis, but other people. And we would sing it in school. And yeah, we, we, we'd sing that one in school as well. So, yeah. Yeah. so I, I find myself singing along to it the whole time, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's another one that, uh, you know, Elvis kind of puts his own personal stamp on it and like he did most everything that he recorded and, and it makes it even more enjoyable than, than it might be by somebody else. There's just so many. I mean, it's a good song, but there's just so many other songs that he did, Christmas songs that he did that I like better than that, you know? Yeah, yeah. OK, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful is number 17. Not really a lot to say about that. Again, it's a kind of a song that we would have sung in school, so we'd be very familiar with that. So and it's always kind of nice to hear Elvis sing something that you used to sing yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he did a good job on that. Uh, he, you know, with the uh, the background singers, they did a really good job on that song. And the next one. Uh, now, this is really one of my all time Elvis favorites, not just a Christmas song. Uh, Merry Christmas, Baby. Yeah, and and that's another one um, that is high on the list for a lot of people. 
it's a little bit further down for me just simply because there are so many other songs that I like better than that. And it's a perfectly enjoyable song. I, I enjoy hearing him. He's having fun when he's but I, I, it's not it's not the released version I like. It's the uh, unreleased jam that goes on for what about yeah. eight minutes I think about eight minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's really all... he's really having he's really having fun with it. You know, sing he shouts yeah. out to Put. Uh, what does he shout out? I Wake can't up, remember. Put. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, Wake up, Put. Yeah. And then he's at one point he says he's he's uh, shoving it shoving it down Al's mic or something <laughs> like that. But I'm so that's that's a great one. Uh, let's next uh, number number twelve is Silver Bells. Mm, bit indifferent about that. It's just I think that's a bit of a throwaway number. I think it was just a filler for the album. I think it was, but you know I like it because uh, the lyrics. It, it 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 when you listen to the lyrics, I can visualize the people walking down the street and the snow is underneath their feet and all that. I can I can visualize that, and that's always something that's kind of stuck in my mind when I think about that song. Uh, Santa, bring my baby back to me. Yeah, that that's one that. Uh, in that's years one you can past, you, you you can dance around this, the the living room to that. <laughs> yeah, well, in years past they would have been higher on my list, but uh, I had it pushed a little bit further down at this time. But it it's really it's a very that's it's an enjoyable cut. It really is. It's sort of so it might have been sort of a throwaway, like you mentioned with Silver Bells. It might have been sort of a throwaway song, but it's still enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like that one. Uh, number ten, I'll be home for Christmas uh, from the fifty-seven. Yeah, and that's a classic. That's, um, a, it's a, that's a great vocal performance as well. Great vocal. Yeah, performance. it really is. Yeah, and it was at the end of the movie uh, *Lethal Weapon*. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that or not, but they played it uh, over the closing credits in *Lethal right. Weapon*. Yeah. Uh, number nine, White Christmas. I, I, I think uh, I got the feeling that Elvis thought he had to record that. You know, if he'd have left that off the 1957 album, there would have been war. You know, why didn't you do White Christmas? So I, I think I think he just I think he just did it because he was told to, I think. And well, and his his version is so obviously indebted to the, the Drifters version, of course. And of course, he was a big fan of Clyde McFadder and the drifters and it's very obvious that he he uh his he copied that style for that song mm, yeah oh yeah i mean it's just so different from bing crosby's you know some oh, people yeah. I, I remember some people saying it was completely and utterly overdone and he should have just tried to tried to sing it like bing but that wouldn't have suited elvis's style at all no no he did it he did it just exactly like he needed to and he once again he took a song and sort of made it his own like he did. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number eight is it, it won't seem like Christmas. That's um, that's uh, for one of the less enjoyable songs for me that are on the set on that seventy one album that are the secular songs. It's I mean I like it but it's not as enjoyable as some of the others that are higher on the list for me. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree. It's just again, it's just like a almost like a throwaway. I think. Um, yeah. Well, well, I'll mention what I think. Uh, you know, Colonel Parker uh, had the, his the input he had into these Christmas albums at the end when we get to number one. Um, if every day was like Christmas, uh, our old friend Red West, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's um, Red was a great songwriter. There's there's no way around that. He he. He was a very, very talented guy in his own right, and 
he wrote some great songs for Elvis. He wrote two of the best Christmas songs for sure that Elvis did. If every day was like Christmas and Holly leaves and Christmas trees, which is yeah, yeah. a fantastic song. That's a little bit higher up. In fact, that's, that's right near the top that one, isn't it? We'll get to that one yeah. very shortly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of course there's a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, it's a very, very touchy emotive subject. Red West. Uh, of course the, the, we will be, um, I will be discussing, uh, what happened, the book, what happened in a future podcast episode. But, uh, I know that, you know, there's a lot of uh, feeling out there against Red, but uh, as far as his songwriting was concerned, I agree with you. He was a very, very good songwriter. And If Every Day Was Like Christmas is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, not to stray too far away from what we're talking about, but Separate Ways was a was an outstanding song. Another another great one. Yeah. And if you talk in your sleep, I mean, this guy, this guy could write a good song. I mean, do you think it was just pure coincidence that uh, Separate Ways was written around the time of uh, the divorce? Or uh, do you think, yep, this is definitely going to work for Elvis because of what he's going through at the time? No, I think um, from what I, I can't remember where I read it at, but I, I think Red was quoted as saying at some point that he wrote the song with Elvis in mind. That, that uh, you know, when he mentions uh, about the, the little girl being without the parents and all that or the parents splitting up he he, he it was a yeah. conscious decision on his part to write it like that. it is it's, it's just too close it's just too too, yeah. too close there's, there's no coincidence there definitely not I, I would like to know what elvis's response was when he first heard it and first heard those lyrics i'd like to know what he said to red if he said anything at all i'd like to i'd like to know what that was about yeah yeah he he, he did actually uh devote a lot of time to it there's over 20, maybe even it maybe even went into the 30s, the take numbers. I can't remember exactly, but I do remember hearing quite a high number of takes of separate ways. So, you know, he didn't just throw it away. Yeah, uh, he wanted to get it right for sure. And don't forget that the same session he recorded Always On My Mind, which, again, Always you know, is very, very emotive. Very, very clearly, these songs, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, they're, they're obviously about his his marriage i mean i don't see any way around it I, even elvis would say oh no i'm not i'm not singing about i'm not singing about my relationship with priscilla but he obviously was i mean come on we're not <laughs> oh yeah we're not oh yeah completely yeah. naive here yeah. i think he, i think he was uh emotional about the times the happy times that had gone past as well you know because i i don't yeah. think i don't think 71 72 was a very very happy time just for other reasons as well you know i mean yeah. uh, uh some of the substances that he got into later kind of started around 72 uh, so yeah. you know i mean i i've even heard uh the producers elvis on tour saying they had to light him carefully because he was ghostly pale on some days and was it that he he got, he got addicted to Demerol uh, around that time? I think uh, from what I can remember, the Demerol addiction started in 1973 when he after the success of the Aloha special, they went back into Vegas within a few days. And and uh, was it the acupuncture? The was it? Uh, well, the acupuncture came a little bit later. The acupuncture was after the the summer season of 1973, but in, in January and February, he was given a, a Demerol injectable kit by one of the Las Vegas physicians. I won't mention the guy's name cause I don't want to, you know, no, no, that's okay. Anybody, but, uh, 
One of the physicians that he had in Las Vegas gave him an injectable Demerol kit in which he could he could draw up his own medicine into a syringe and either inject it himself or have somebody else do it without any regulation by a physician whatsoever. Of course, he was just taking whatever he wanted, whatever he felt like doing. So he might have been taking way too much. And that's not I think this went on for a period of a few months. And that's one reason why he had that overdose in St. Louis and in, in, uh, I believe it was in July of that year, 1973, when they found him in the hotel room and they had to throw him in the cold shower just to wake him up. Yeah, I think that was yeah. probably I think that probably had something to do with the Demerol injectable kit. And then after he finished that uh, summer season at the uh, the Hilton, then he started taking those Demerol I mean, uh, the uh, acupuncture treatments and was being treated with Demerol and Novocaine. And those two drugs, apparently, if you put those two together, they will cause you to become addicted to Demerol. And that's what happened to him. I'm always always struck by the changes between uh, the Aloha special and then the photographs of him and Priscilla leaving uh, the divorce court in October 73. He's very puffy, uh, almost cushionoid, I think they call it, don't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, face. Was, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, he had a lot of uh, edema or swelling. Yeah. And he, he, he was actually admitted to hospital a few days after uh, the, the court yeah. appearance. Yeah. And he was, he was really in bad shape. He, uh, according to uh, the people that, you know, admitted him to the hospital, they, I, I guess he was near death in, in October of 73. He'd actually mm-hmm. gotten to the point where he had poisoned his body so much with that stuff that uh, it was about to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a, that's an indication of just uh, probably the, the unhappiness over the, the, the divorce from Priscilla and then just the general maybe maybe the boredom was starting to kick in after uh, Aloha. Where do you go? Uh, yeah, it, it is a combination of those things. He 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 obviously he wanted to have his cake and eat it, too, with his wife. Obviously, he wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. And he wanted her sitting at home waiting for him, which. Yeah. Yeah, that's not, that's not fair to anybody. Uh, I'm not I'm not a big fan of, of his ex-wife, but but that's not fair to her that he was doing that. And then, like you said, he was he was bored with <clears throat> by, by 1973. He was bored with Vegas. He didn't want to be there anymore. Well, of course, the, the, the answer to my question, where do you go after Aloha is obviously a world tour. Exactly. And there's that's no, there's, there's, there's nothing there's nothing else to do after that, I believe. You know, that it's that's the end of the line. You know, it, uh, how. You know how Parker couldn't see that. Uh, it's beyond. It's beyond me. It's beyond me. I don't know. I'm actually. I'm of the mind that uh, he should have been. He should have been touring all over the world in the early '60s, early to mid '60s. It shouldn't have. Been, it shouldn't have taken till 1973 or four to do a world tour. He should have been doing it. He should have been going to to uh, the United Kingdom and and Italy and France and and West Germany at the time and. And uh, Spain, all those places, he should have been doing that in in 1962, not 72. I I feel he should have. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know the path they took. The, unfortunately, uh, you know, Colonel Parker wanted the now money, you know, uh, yeah. which was uh, and it was fast money as well. I mean, uh, come kissing cousins, they were sort of kicking him out at 18 days shooting period, and and you know Elvis was guaranteed what a million uh, plus uh, yeah. so so much of the profits as well. So. That's what Parker. That's the route Parker took, unfortunately. Well, uh, you know, and I've I've mentioned this to other people in the past. If you want to do some movies with him in the '60s, that's fine. Do do one 
pick pick one good, well written movie with a good director, a good script. Spend three, four months filming that, and then spend another three or four months touring the United States and Canada and Europe and Japan and Australia. He could have done that. Yeah, he could have filmed one really good movie a year, and then spent another three or four months touring all over the world. And this this could have been done all through his his prime years in in the sixties and in early seventies. He could have been doing that that entire time. But but it's, Parker was so short sighted, he he could not see what needed to be done. Well, my opinion is he would have he would have been better off getting rid of Parker after about sixty one sixty two. I think that's yeah. kind of I I think that's kind of when I think Parker nearly sort of run out of ideas after sixty one sixty two. He was undoubtedly good for Elvis when he first started, no doubt. But from sixty two onwards, they, I think the direction was completely lost. Yeah, Parker got more and more into gambling, and and uh, I really don't know how much foresight Parker had to begin with. The, the thing that really helped Elvis with with Parker in the mid 50s was that parker had some contacts that that other people didn't have around elvis at that time so he was that's, able to get that's exactly that. yes that's exactly right yeah yeah so he okay. was able to get him vision stuff like that okay back to we we we, we kind of went on a bit of a detour there but it was very interesting <laughs> anyway I, i'm hoping it's interesting for our listeners i'm sure it is I hope uh, so. on a snowy christmas night uh, another 71 uh, holly leaves and Christmas trees. Yeah, now that's number that's number three. That's another Red West one, isn't it? Yeah, that's actually those final four that I have on that list. I think I mentioned when I posted it. That any one of those four could could rotate up and be number one at any point for me on a snowy Christmas night. And holly leaves and Christmas trees are both two of my not just favorite Christmas songs, but two of my favorite songs that Elvis ever recorded. Period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, number two, if I get home on Christmas Day. Yeah, I just I love that song. Um, it might it might seem like a throwaway song to a lot of people, but for whatever reason, it it might be something just personal with me. I don't know, but I just I love that song. He's got a great vocal on that. His voice is just so smooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a big drum roll, number one. Would you like to announce what your number one was? <laughs> I think you you can go ahead and announce it if you'd like. Okay. It's Santa Claus is back in town. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. Well, it's Christmas time for the baby. And the snow is falling on the ground. Christmas, Christmas. Well, it's Christmas time for the baby. And the snow. It's 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 a song that it should have been a number one hit. I don't I don't know how it wasn't. I really don't. Well, a lot of, a, a lot, if, if a lot of people don't know this, we'll share the story with the writing of this song. Basically, what it was was they were short one song. So Mike yeah. Stoller and Jerry Lieber went in another room while the uh, the recording session was going on and wrote this song in about an hour. How magnificent, how fantastic is that to come up with a song like Santa Claus is back in town? In an hour. 
with those lyrics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you if you kind of if if you kind of listen to the lyrics as well, they're kind of they can be kind of like a double meaning to them, can't they? You know, they, they uh, are. Hang up your pretty stockings. You know that that's a woman taking off her underwear, and Santa yeah. Claus is coming down your chimney tonight. Well, you can kind of yeah. make a connection there as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was clear what they were trying to do. That was that was definitely a double entendre for, for them. They that was that was intentional. Now I was hoping that maybe you and I would disagree with our number one, but that's my number one as well. All-time Christmas song by Elvis. In fact, yeah. all-time number one Christmas song. Full stop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did you uh, uh, did, did did you watch the uh, the lighting ceremony at Graceland this year? No, I haven't actually haven't watched one of those in years. I I used to try to go down and be there in person when they had them back a few years ago, but I've kind of stopped doing that now. I I don't I just usually just go and look at the they, lights. They actually used that song when when, when the when the, the the switch was uh, switched on when the lights were switched on. They they burst the song uh, Santa Claus is back in town and just to hear that you know that raucous vocal kicking in as the lights went on it was a very very good choice very very good choice. that works yeah yeah that works yeah oh, I, I thought yeah. they did a good job this year I remember I played that song this is this has been probably 30 years ago I played that song for a friend of mine we were probably just graduated from high school or close to that and and uh he was working he had started he was a disc jockey at a local radio station there in arkansas and he he had one of the elvis christmas albums there and it had that song on and he hadn't heard it before and i was like man you gotta play this you gotta play this and he said why and i said well it starts out like a just a normal christmas song with the jordanaires singing yes yes and everything and then all of a sudden Elvis just rips into it and it's just becomes just this complete rocker. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try it. And he, he put it on the turntable and played it and this big grin came across his face. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm playing this. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just wondering how many takes Elvis uh, it took to, to do it. Actually, if I can find that, I will, because I have Ernst's uh, book in front of me. The only thing is yeah. it was, it was, uh, September September 57, wasn't it? When they did the recording sessions, Santa Claus is back in town. They did seven takes. Seven well, takes. Well, well it, they, that being said, it, take seven is the master, but they could have done more takes. I'll have to, I'll have to do a little bit more research. But I, I wouldn't have thought they, they labored over it very much. I would say he just ripped through those takes and then picked the best. Yeah. Uh, but he sounded yeah. like he was, he, he sounded like he was having a, a great time recording that. Uh, so oh, something, yeah. something, something else I discovered recently. You, you might have seen this letter. It's a letter from Colonel Parker to Elvis in August 1957, I believe. Uh, and Elvis, Elvis must have been skeptical about recording a Christmas album. So basically, what it is is Colonel Parker wrote to Elvis, saying that you know he thought it would be a good move and it might get a, some of the uh, older <laughs> and more mature uh you know fans on his side yeah. you know, the, sort the, of, more, the yeah. more, more mature audience on his side yeah and, and that was a, that was a, an instance where parker was right i think that was the right decision to do that well i think it still sells uh, elvis is you know they, they repackage it every so often and and put it out you know elvis christmas songs or whatever and it's still it's still selling to to the day you know so it was a yeah. good it was one of parker's better decisions put it that way yeah, I, and I, you know, I think Elvis always, in some ways, he sort of always had doubts about his abilities, 
of course, we know now that he could take any song pretty much and make it his own. He had he had that ability to do that, and he did that with those songs. And maybe at that time, a 22-year-old young guy who's still trying to find his way, he, he didn't think that he could pull that off, but he surely he pulled it off as well as anybody ever has. I, I think Elvis spent nearly all his career wondering, why me? You know, why is this happening to me? You know, he, he, he definitely couldn't see himself through our eyes. No, no. He 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 always had that doubt. I, and I think that probably had a, a big part of it was the way that he was raised in rural Mississippi and, you know, growing up so poor and not having anything and people always telling him he never would be anything. And and then all of a sudden to become what he did, he, he never could really reconcile those two things that he, he went from having people tell him he went from abject poverty and having people tell him that he never would be anything to suddenly being the biggest name in the world. And that would be hard to deal with, I think, in your mind. A few times he was told to go back to driving the truck, you know. Yeah, yeah, even after he started, yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah. Okay, so that just about uh, wraps up. Oh, no, there's one other thing I wanted to uh, mention, the misconception of what a lot of people might think was Elvis's favorite Christmas song. Now, this stems from uh, the 1968 uh, Singer Special when uh, yeah. Elvis, the, one of the sit-down shows, he says, uh, I, being the time of year that it is, that's what he says, I'd like yeah. to uh, sing my favorite Christmas song of all the ones I recorded. And then there's an edit, because we we know that actually the favorite Christmas song, as far as he was concerned, was our number one as well, which is Santa Claus is yeah. Back in Town. But they cut that out because he kind of forgets the words and he loses his place, so he then segues into Blue Christmas. So, yeah, I actually, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that until just recently, uh, just probably in the last few months, I came across that video on YouTube of him saying that, and I, and I was expecting it to go into Blue Christmas like I'd always seen before, and then it, and then all of a sudden he, he ripped into uh, Santa Claus is back in town. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that that's actually how it went. Yeah, yeah. If, if you if you watch the 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 edit uh, of the the broadcast, you can actually see where it jumps. You know, uh, and I was always very skeptical. And then when they released the uh, the 3D, the, the three CD uh, set, you know, the complete uh, 68 yeah. uh, tapes, uh, I was happy to see, you know, that, yeah, uh, I was vindicated. That wasn't his favorite song. It was Santa Claus is back in town. Yeah. And, and yeah, I noticed he, he, he forgot a lot of the words and and but he was still having fun with it. And and I wish I wish he could have remembered the words and done, given it a proper treatment for that show because that would have been just yeah yeah. Well, I actually did a video of it, a video of it on my YouTube channel uh, early on uh, a couple yeah, of years ago, and then and then uh, and then YouTube blocked it, so it's no longer available on my YouTube, unfortunately. Okay. I, that could have been where I saw it though, because um, I did see it somewhere. But if you know if he had if he had had the opportunity to do that song if he could have remembered those words like he did with trying to get to you, and one night and some of those other songs that he did in that sit down session, the the sort of unplugged session that they had there that yeah that would have been just that would have just knocked me off my feet for sure. <laughs> he always does. He always does. Uh, oh, I yeah. think I, I think that just about covers the the Christmas songs. I can't think of anything else we need to discuss on those. Uh, so I, I think we, we, we're going to close just with, um, the up and coming Baz Luhrmann biopic, which is going to be, is, is it going to start filming shortly in Australia? I believe so. Yeah. 
pretty but soon. It's not, it's, but it's not, it's not due for release until 2021. That sounds like a long time away, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's usually how movies go. They they film for a few months and then it takes a while to edit it out. And I wonder when the release date. I wonder if they'll try to make the release date either around his birthday or around the time of his death. I don't. I haven't heard. Well, maybe at Christmas time they might hold it over to Christmas time because a lot of big pictures are are actually released at Christmas time, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So we so we could we could be looking at a further two years yet. Wow. Yeah, that'd be a long time to wait, wouldn't it? What are we expecting from it? personally i'm 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 quite uh, i'm quite skeptical on it because it's so many times i've looked forward to, to an elvis picture or an elvis you know documentary and it's kind of fallen flat for me anyway yeah it's i'm i'm very skeptical of it i'd, I'd like to say well i will say that with tom hanks being attached to it it will get a serious treatment there's no doubt about that because everything that tom hanks does is is serious and and most of the time he does good good movies so i'm I, I think that that's a definite positive the problem that i have with it and it may and may end up not being a problem is is instead of finding a guy who who looks like elvis like they've tried to do in the past with some of these guys just find a guy that has charisma sort of like elvis had and that's what they had when they had kurt russell in that movie that television yeah. All those years well, I think, uh, well, Kurt did a good job, but uh, I was, uh, I, I don't like the, you know, the talking to the shadow bit and all, and all that, that, that kind of made him, that made him out to look kind of a bit of a weirdo, you know, which I can't yeah. believe for a minute that he would, I don't think he would talk to his shadow now, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know whose idea that was to do that. I, I, I think that might have actually been Dick Clark's idea to do that. He'd, I think George Klein said he talked to Dick Clark about that, and he said, you know, that that stuff never happened like that. But you know, of course, Dick Clark was like, yeah, well, we, you know, we're taking a little dramatic license, and we're going to add some stuff in to make it more interesting. I don't think Elvis was that preoccupied with Jesse. You know, I, I don't think he spent his whole life, you know, thinking what would it have been like and what will I do this time, Jesse. You know, almost asking his his yeah. opinion. I just, I, yeah. I just can't, I just can't see it. You know. I think I, I'm, I'm sure he probably thought about his brother a lot. I, I don't doubt that for a second. I think he probably yeah. thought about his mother. I think he thought about his mother a lot. But no, he wasn't sitting around in a room looking at his shadow saying, Jesse, what do I need to do now? No, he wasn't doing that kind of stuff. I, I don't think Elvis was really he wasn't that introspective. I think he might have been to a certain degree, but I don't think he was he was to that point where he was actually trying to talk to his dead twin brother. And this is what worries me now about this Baz Luhrmann pick. Are they going to go and take some artistic license and twist a few things just to make it more, you know, uh, interesting to the non-Elvis fan, if you like? Well, and the thing about it is, Steve, I really don't think they have to. Elvis's life was so just full of drama. I mean, he had a lot of drama in his life from from the time he was a child up, up until he passed away. I'd. I don't think they would really have to do that, but I'm sure they probably will. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, Elvis's life was interesting enough without having to, you know, add bits or twist bits. I, I'm just, you know, I mean, one of the one of the examples I think of recently was uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody film. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, that's the English coming out of me. Movie, I should say, not film. Uh, <laughs> where they they actually had um, Freddie Mercury being diagnosed with AIDS right on the cusp of uh, Live Aid. 
the live aid concert now uh, you probably i don't know whether you know this or not but he wasn't actually diagnosed until i, I think it was a couple of years after live aid but of course they yeah. had it it was more you know dramatic to have him finding out just before he went on stage you know a couple of couple of weeks before going on stage so that that's yeah, that's one of my to... that's one of my concerns are they going to twist the you know the elvis story to try and make it more commercial yeah and of course, I don't know how long the movie will be, and I don't know how much they can squeeze into a two and a half hour movie or however long they decide to make it. But, and I'm not sure. I, I guess they'll. I guess maybe they'll start the movie around the time that Parker first takes over as manager for Elvis. Is that probably where they're going to go with it? You see, this is another thing I can't actually find out. Is it going to cover his whole life, or is it just going to cover a short period? I mean, if they're focusing on Tom Parker, then you know. It, 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 <laughs> Is it just going to be, you know, when they when 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 they started out, and uh, where are they going to end it? You know, I mean, the, the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 Kurt Russell movie ended in '69. Uh huh. Yeah. So are they gonna, I, uh, well, you know, I wonder. I've been wondering that too. And uh, another thing that I noticed, I saw that Baz Luhrmann had had visited Sam Bell, one of Elvis's friends, one of Elvis's African American friends from Tupelo that he grew up with. He had actually visited him and, and talked to him. So maybe there will at least be some look into Elvis's childhood and Tupelo in the movie. Of course, if they go past, I mean, not, not trying to sound nasty or anything, but I mean, if they go past the mid 70s, I mean, they're going to have to find a diff, another actor because Elvis's appearance changed so much in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, Austin Butler won't be able to play, you know, a 1976, 77 Elvis. Now, how old is that young man, Austin Butler? Is he in his 20s, I guess? Yeah, he would be in his maybe late 20s, I think. I'm not too sure. He's, so, so, you he know. Play, he could play Elvis from 1954 to 1970, maybe. Exactly. Roughly. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they finish it at 69 as well, just like uh, Elvis. Uh, yeah. The, the, the Kurt Russell one, you know. Yeah, I show the the triumph of comeback in Las Vegas and kind of end it there. Yeah, but the, I'm sure over the next 12 months or so there'll be little little bits and pieces leaking out. So, but uh, of course it's you know it's what you what you choose to believe. The the proof of the pudding will actually be in you know watching the movie. Yeah, I'm I'll I'll reserve judgment on it until I see it. But I I don't really I'm like you I don't really have high hopes for for how it'll be. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's a, the definitive movie about elvis and it's everything that we want to see but i'm not gonna hold see, my the, breath. The, 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 the only the only way they can really do a great job is if they use the real elvis <laughs> they'll have to get a hologram or something i don't know <laughs> yeah. yeah because i, I yeah. mean you know to this day even though it, what was it 1981 uh this is elvis it's still one of the best elvis biopics out there because it was elvis because it was him and that's that's something i remember i, I read uh, marty lacker had said one time that the reason why none of these uh, Elvis biopics would would work is because Elvis had such had such a presence and had that look and and nobody can can match that nobody can match that no actor can match that and and that's why all these pictures fail all these films they don't they don't uh, they don't you know they're not what we want to see because we want to see the real deal and he's not he's not in it and it's it's very difficult to to watch something and not see him. There's only one Elvis. There only ever will yeah. be one Elvis, that's for sure. Yeah. He had, okay, he had that kind of charisma and looks that, that uh, we'll probably never see again. And exactly. talent. 
Exactly, exactly. I agree. I, I always say, somebody says, oh, you know, an Elvis Presley comes along once in a lifetime. And I always say, no, an Elvis Presley comes al- along once. Once. Yeah, I agree 100%. Well, Don, I'd like to thank you very much for getting up so early in the morning. Well, thank you, Steve. I really enjoyed talking to you. I, I love talking Elvis, and I love talking Elvis to people who know about Elvis. That's one of my same, great Same here. I, I could talk about Elvis 24-7. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Much, much, much to my family's, uh, <laughs> they say, not Elvis again. <laughs> yeah, I hear so what, that too. What are you going to do with the rest of your day? Um, well, hopefully get a little sleep <laughs> at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we've got uh, we've got American football here that, uh, you know, they play on Sundays and I'll be watching my, my favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys lose another game probably. So. Oh no, that doesn't sound too good. <laughs> no, they're, they're not, they're not very good right now. Thanks once again to Don for joining me on Elvis, the ultimate fan channel from Memphis and discussing his favorite Elvis Christmas songs. If you want to contact the show with any feedback or suggestions on topics you would like to hear discussed, or anything else for that matter, you can do so by email on ElvisTheUltimateFanChannel at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook and YouTube under the same title. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time on Elvis The Ultimate Fan Channel podcast.